Welcome back, Scriptorians. This is Lori, and you're joining me for the 20-Minute Scriptorian. Now, you're probably wondering where the intro music went, but uh, sadly, I'm on a business trip, and I only have my laptop, so I don't have all my equipment. So bear with me, but welcome back to the 20-Minute Scriptorian. Let's jump into Helaman, and we're in chapters 7 and 8 today, and then we will bounce out to the end with Samuel the Lamanite and all that exciting information. Now, as you recall, some interesting things are happening. We're really dialing into the presence of the Savior coming soon. And as a result, we have a lot of focus on that, that the Lord is coming soon and we need to prepare for his coming. That really parallels where we are today as well in our time. As part of that, we see the fracturing of the society where there's a lot of egalitarian behavior, uh, separation between kind of the rich and the poor. But we also see personal righteousness coming into play with people in both kind of camps of both the Nephites and the Lamanites. In fact, this is when you see a lot of the Lamanites really stand up. You know, when I was growing up, I always thought, oh, there was the good guys and the bad guys. And as I reread these stories, I realize that's true, but it's not quite the Nephites and the Lamanites, but it's who we choose to follow. So we'll see that again in this story with Nephi. So let's jump in. I want you to watch something in chapter 7 that goes through chapter 7 and 8 and then through the end of Helaman. It's an interesting structure that Helaman has chosen to highlight, uh, but also that perhaps we see from Mormon. And that's the use of these, speaking from a tall place. So you're going to see that now, uh, one of those great scenes, Nephi, he returns from his mission. He's not having much success, so he returns to the place of his birth, Zarahemla. Obviously, they're a ruling family, so he is right there in the main part of town and he is out in his garden area and up on a tower near the the highway it says and so people can pass and can see him and so he speaks from this tower uh, as he's praying and mourning and draws quite a crowd in a few more chapters we see another prophet come samuel and samuel comes and stands on the wall and preaches to the people and so it's kind of an, an interesting inclusio a kind of a book bookends um tower on the beginning of chapter seven and then a tower or a wall on the interesting thing. Oftentimes, we know that we go to a high place to get closer to God. Sometimes we feel like that in nature, but you definitely see that in the scriptures. The temple, so the temple, the Garden of Eden, Mount Zion, Mount Sinai, Nephi is taken away into a high mountain, um, Ezekiel. They go on and on of taking us into this high place where we're closer to God. It might be something that's uh, metaphorical, might be something literal, but we almost see that same thing kind of happening as they, they climb up on this wall. So just, just wanted to draw that out because it's such an interesting um, thing. Also, if we, I, I know some people believe that uh, this happened in North America, um, and then there are large groups that believe that it happened in Central or South America. Either way, uh, we don't really know, but we do know that in a lot of at least Mesoamerican cities that there would be kind of the two ends of the city. So there might be a, a main temple and a main other building on the end. And then uh, the market and the thoroughfare kind of shoots right down the middle, the highway, as it were, sometimes called the King's Highway. So you can kind of uh, envision how the city is set up uh, with two ends and the marketplace and the highway down the middle. And that almost sounds like where Nephi is landing. So that's where Nephi is. He comes back again from his mission. He's not having a lot of luck and he's kind of concerned and then he's going to come into these themes i want you to watch for a couple of themes through these next chapters as you've been studying but it's the idea of death 
and restoration. So um, setting this up a little bit, part of this setting may be that he, uh, people would have seen him up on the tower and it was where you were mourning. And, and so you're not, when we think of prayer, we probably think of it as being a very a subdued event. Uh, you're, you know, kneeling and your head is down and your hands or arms are folded perhaps. And, and so you're probably very quiet. So if someone was sitting up on top of uh, a tower of some kind praying and, you know, if you're in your backyard and someone walked by, you, probably, you might not even notice them up there if they were praying in, uh, in our cultures today. However, if you were in those cultures, it may have been a mourning situation. And so sometimes when they're in a funeral ceremony, there could have been a lot of uh, speaking out loud. Uh, I don't know what they would have done in that culture, but obviously it's enough to draw attention. If he was feeling like it wasn't just a prayer, but a lament of something of mourning of somebody deceased, um, which he says Nephi was in great mourning, 7 chapter 11 and lamentation in 715, then you can kind of feel it's a little less private and a little bit more standing on top and showing um, actions of this mourning, this lament being bereaved. Um, maybe someone died and that would have might, might have brought attention that as he's up there, people say, oh, I wonder, and he's obviously somebody very important in the leadership having come from the family of Alma, Alma, Helaman, Helaman, uh, and then Nephi, and then his brother Lehi. By the way, these are always the second when they always go by their names. So it's the second as the youngest. So Alma, book of Alma is the second Alma. The book of Helaman is the second Helaman. Nephi is the second Nephi. Well, third Nephi. But um, but this Nephi, Nephi and Lehi brothers, he may have been up there um, and they would have probably noticed him. He probably lived in a place of town, having come from the uh, leadership side, being the, the judge and the chief judge with his family. Um, and then they would have noticed him. So maybe there's something going on like that. But you're going to watch this theme of mourning as well as death and restoration. So it can be more of an allegorical death and restoration from sin back into obedience and repentance and the new life that the atonement gives us. But also it's calling them from the being this dead and rotting society and saying, come back, you need to repent. So you're going to see this... Um, these ideas of death. You're going to see ideas as much as murder. So uh, let's go on. So he gets up there and he starts to pray. Let's read what it says. All right. So we're in Helaman, book of Helaman, chapter seven. And then there's a header for this one. And this header is written by either Mormon as the editor or Helaman himself or something like that. This is not added in later, like some of the chapter headers are from our day. But it says the prophecy of Nephi, the son of Helaman. God threatens the people of Nephi that he will visit them in his anger to their utter destruction, except they repent of their wickedness. God smiteth the people of Nephi with pestilence. They repent and turn to him. Samuel, a Lamanite, prophesies unto the Nephites. So there are our themes. So remember this idea of destruction, death, um, but yet they could come back. All right. So it was in the 60 and ninth year. And it says that Nephi and Lehi are frustrated and they come back. Now we don't hear where Lehi goes. Uh, so we don't see him in this story. So I was thinking, did he come back with them? Where was Lehi during this, his brother? But uh, they returned to the land of Zerahemla and they just said they went to preach and they did prophesy, but they just rejected. The people in the north rejected their words. So he couldn't even stay there. So he comes back to a, to his hometown. And he sees that he just witnesses this, this terrible state. And he says, 
seeing the people in the state of such awful wickedness and those Gadian robbers filling the judgment seats, having usurped the power and authority of the land, laying aside the commandments of God and not in the least a right before him, doing no justice unto the children of men. Uh, this is, phrase really jumped out at me at the very end of this chapter of verse 4, is this idea that they didn't do any justice to the children of men. We've talked a little bit about the Gadiant robbers, and they're always a, a topic of interest, is these, these uh, Kishkumen and the sacred combinations. But clearly, Nephi comes home, and they know who they are, so it must it's a political group, right? So it seems to be a political group, but then do they have these uh, secret combination ports as well? But he clearly recognizes that they're there in taking parts of the judgment seat and part of the politics. But it says that they uh, don't do right by God, but they also do no justice unto the children of men. Uh, this is a big commandment that we see coming through the whole Old Testament and the early parts of the Book of Mormon as well, is justice, the idea of justice. You and I sometimes think of the term of justice as uh, like going to the law court and getting justice for something that's done wrong to you. It's similar but the term comes from the term righteousness, and it means setting something right. So often justice is given to those who were not given something right, but the world has, has been corrupted and they don't get what they kind of rightly deserve. So you often hear of four groups that deserve more justice in the eyes of God, the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant. The widow, the orphan, the poor and the immigrant. And you'll see those over and over and over and over again, that those that you need to give justice to those. Those are the people that are perhaps marginalized in the society. And in the Nephite society that's happening, we see that, that it's if you're poor, like the um, Ammonites, they're cast out. If you're not wearing the nicest clothes, you're cast out. If you're an immigrant, we don't want you in our part of town. We do see some highlights where they, some of the Nephites bring some of the people in, but even Nephi in this story has to leave the places of the north he can't even stay there so it's like yeah you're not one of us so we tend to get very inclusive and drive people out uh, we also are not looking out for those who are marginalized in their society it could have been the widow and the orphan those that don't have a way of getting means of, of uh, earning money themselves so it's it's poignant every time i read this they these new rulers these gadian robbers were not only uh, laying aside the commandments of God and not doing right by him, but they were do not doing justice for the children of men, for the people. So they were not doing their main jobs, which was supporting those who needed to have things set right in the society, the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant. Oh, that stings. That's hard. Uh, in my culture, some of those are the people that we uh, definitely disdain and think they should do it themselves or we don't want them here. Uh, but that is a hard lesson for me. So that jumped out first, that he saw that as evidences of this unrighteousness. All right? Also, they wanted money and world and that uh, worldliness and that let them commit adultery, steal, kill, and do whatever they wanted. So it gave them power to be corrupt. And that rings all too true as well. All right. So it said, uh, Nephi saw this and his heart was swollen with sorrow within his breast. And he did exclaim in the agony of his soul. Oh, that I could have had my days in the days when my father Nephi first came out of the land of Jerusalem, that I could have joyed with him in the promised land. Then were his people easy to be entreated, firm to keep the commandments of God, and slow to be led to do iniquity, and they were quick.
sick to hearken unto the words of God. Yea, if my days could have been in those days, then would my soul have had joy in the righteousness of my brethren. But behold, I am consigned that these are my days, and that my soul shall be filled with sorrow because of this, the wickedness of thy of my brethren. Um, such a beautiful lament here that how worried and upset he is in contrast to his people that he wishes he had been with Father Lehi in coming back. Uh, obviously, this jumps out that uh, his brethren weren't very easy to entreat, and it wasn't that great. They were eating raw meat and trying to kill each other. But we do often look back on the times when um, things were simpler. And uh, I think this is an interesting point. I think we crave for different days, but they probably weren't that much easier. So an interesting point, but he is so sorrowed over this, uh, his society. So anyway, it says he gets up in his garden and he gets up on this tower that is, again, we mentioned this near the highway and he starts to pray. So let's see, he starts to mourn and it says he's mourning. And, and, and so people, I would, this is where I think it's a little bit more of a mourning, like a death had happened. So whatever gesticulations he would have made, people would have seen this. I wonder who died. And especially if he comes from this big family, I think, and, and in a home that was probably recognizable, um, that's all speculation, of course. I think people would say, well, something's going on. So he gets a crowd and they're like, who, what's happening? Um, and so that's where he addresses them in verse 13. And he says, why have you gathered yourselves to, together that I may tell you of your iniquities? Wow. You know, I was thinking about this. Um, we have general conference coming up and I wonder whenever we're going to, every once in a while you get one of those conference talks, but you get a conference talk that tells you to stop it. And uh, you hear those a lot in scripture. You don't hear them quite as much in general conference. We always get a little bit more encouragement than, uh, than straighten up. But this one is definitely, are you here so I can tell you about all the terrible things you've done? And he tells them, I'm getting up here because I'm going to pour my soul out to God because of you, because of how wicked you are, your iniquities. And I'm mourning be, um, and lamenting that ye have gathered yourselves together. Oh, because I have, you've gathered yourselves together. And you're amazed. He says, and you should marvel and you should marvel because the devil has gotten so great a hold upon your hearts. And how could you have given way to the enticings of him who was seeking to hurl away your souls down to everlasting misery and woe? Repent ye, repent ye. Why will ye die? Turn ye, turn ye unto the Lord. Why, why has he forsaken you? It's because you've hardened your hearts. And you will not hearken unto the voice of the good shepherd. Yea, ye have provoked him to anger against you. So he's telling them and he's telling us that why will you die? Don't die, right? And you're like, well, that's strong words. He's mourning. So he's going to use this theme. But he's saying the Lord has turned against you because you've hardened your hearts. And that's that main covenant that we see right in First Nephi, right? That, that the Lord will protect this promised land if they're, uh, if they're there. This is the promise of the Book of Mormon. The Lord will protect the people who obey him and follow the Lord. And yet he's telling them, you're not. And so that you have kind of sealed the deal. So you have forsaken the Lord. And so he's forsaken you. But again, he uses this term of die. Why will you die? Instead, turn. Turn back. Why have you hardened your hearts? Listen to the voice of the good shepherd. right? And instead of gathering you, speaking of the Lord, instead of gathering you, except you will repent, he scattereth you forth. And you become meat for dogs and wild beasts, right? You're not protected. And he's going to chastise you, or that protection at least is gone. How could you have forgotten your God in the very day 
he has delivered you. What do you think that means? What deliverance is Nephi telling the people about? Is it deliverance perhaps from the Lamanite battles that they have just been delivered? Is it deliverance from something else? Um, I think there are a number of things that have just been happening to this society. And so he is telling them, you just keep having this happen. You get kind of delivered or saved. And then you immediately forget who was the cause of your deliverance, whether it was Moroniha or uh, another event in the recent history. They immediately forget. And again, this is where they tend to fall. Um, have you forgotten? But behold, it's to get gain, to be praised of men, yea, that you might get gold and silver, that you've set your hearts upon the riches and the vain things of the world, for that which you do murder and plunder and steal and bear false witness against your neighbor and do all manner of iniquity. And for this cause, woe shall come unto you, except you shall repent. For if you will not repent, behold, this great city and also all those cities which are round about which are in the land of our possession, shall be taken away, that ye shall no more have place in them. For behold, the Lord will not grant unto you strength, as he hitherto hath done, to withstand against your enemies. I imagine him being very heated when he has this conversation, but he's warning them, and he's warning us. What, what have we done? We've forgotten. We've forgotten God, even in the day when we've been delivered. Remember at the very header, there was also something I think that was interesting. Um, there was something, they were talking about wars, but they talked about something else specific that was going, that was happening about this destruction. Let's read it again. The prophecy of Nephi, son of Helaman. See what, uh, what great doom was coming. God threatens the people of Nephi that he will visit them in his anger to their utter destruction, except they repent of their wickedness. And he smiteth the people of Nephi with pestilence. Now, I'm not trying to read so much into this to say that the COVID-19 virus is, is a God-given or something like that, but it does, it does have kind of a parallel here that we say sometimes when we forget the Lord, we're not protected, um, and we should repent. I look to myself and think I could do a lot better job and about personal righteousness. In fact, I'm during the middle of a pandemic on a business trip, so I'm out to get gain and, uh, and well, to support myself, but... I am on a business trip out of state to uh, to to do some of these things and uh, hopefully not in an evil way. But I look and I think, Lori, is that something that I need to repent of? Is that something that I need to be a little more focused on? Focused on those people that need more help. Focused on the justice that needs to be meted out to the people and change my heart and say, hey, I, I need to turn to the Lord. He gives some other... Um, he gives some other keys here in the next couple of verses. As you read through these chapters, and you probably already have this week, but read through and see if you don't see the theme of destruction and death and the repentance and new life that the Savior offers us. And that, I know, is the great hope of the Savior, that we can still turn and that we can always still change the way our hearts are, turn to him and be protected and redeemed in him. All right, brothers and sisters. Onward, we keep on reading in Helaman. We'll come up on Samuel and some of the exciting events next.